0: Good morning. It's still morning, right? Okay. Good to be here. Yeah, we're we're pretty much over our jet lag, but it's been it's been a whirlwind, and boy, we've been blessed to be here. And again, just want to acknowledge my wife Janelle and uh, Jeff and Mindy Pettit uh, from our team. So so good to be here. We were regularly visiting. You know, uh, you guys would come over to Idaho. Uh, every once in a while, every year or two, and we would come back here pretty much every year, sometimes twice a year, just uh, cultivating that relationship between our churches. And then something happened, I, I don't really remember what it was, but kind of a, uh, a pause was put on the travel, and this is our first time back, and it is very good to be here. It feels like like coming home, and uh, we, we've enjoyed, the hospitality has been incredible, the food has been abundant and wonderful, uh, but most of all, uh, just you, the people, have been a blessing to us. And so we want to want to share today from God's Word and, and really just dig into His Word together. Uh, things that we probably have heard before and know, but just want to look at them maybe from a new perspective. And, and as Dave was mentioning uh, at Real Life Ministries, all we're trying to do is the same thing you're trying to do. We want to we want to follow jesus we want to know jesus better we want to follow his word we want to follow his his methods his message and his methods his teachings we believe that you know his teachings are 100% correct we believe the bible is inerrant it's our map it's our guidebook but we also believe that the the way jesus did things with his disciples and with the with the people that he interacted with, the methods he used. He actually said, I don't do anything of myself, but I just do what the Father shows me to do. And so we believe that literally that's divine. It comes from God and that those are the best methods to use to be a disciple and to make more disciples. So today we're going to dig in a little bit to uh, the question of faith and what real faith produces. And we're going to start in the book of James. And I know as, as we talk to people about the book of James, there's a lot of opinions out there. Some people are like, oh, that's a tough book. I stay away from that. I don't like the book of James. He's very direct and, he, and, and kind of harsh. And other people are, oh, it's a wonderful book. And some people are, are, are saying even, well, I think what's said in James might be different than what's said somewhere else. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit today because we know that Scripture never conflicts. That once we understand what God is saying, Scripture always supports Scripture. And so we're going to start in James, in the first chapter, and read uh, in chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 22. James 1, 22. And I'm in the New Living Translation. It says, But don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. So was pretty direct. James was pretty direct, wasn't he? Don't just listen to God's word, but, but do what it says. Otherwise, you're just fooling yourself. So I'm, I'm trying to think of, well, what's he saying to me in my life? He's saying, I can show up on a Sunday. I can hear a message from God's word. But if I just listen to it and don't do it, don't follow it, I'm fooling myself. So that's kind of interesting. He goes on in chapter 2 and and says something that's even maybe a little uh, stronger and and goes with that. So we'll look at chapter 2, verse 14 in the book of James. And he continues and he says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save you? Well he's, he's asking some tough questions here. So he said, what good is it? What good is it if I say I have faith, but my actions don't show it? And then he asks, I think, a key question when he says, now if I say I have faith and my actions don't show it, can that kind of faith save me? If I just say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but my actions don't show it, am I actually saved? Does that faith save me? And then we get into all those kind of questions like, well, we know we're saved by faith, but James seems to be saying, I've got to have works. In fact, he says in one part, you show me your faith without works, I'll show you my faith by my works. So there's some kind of relationship here between faith and works, but we need to understand it clearly to be following the correct gospel of Jesus Christ. But the questions James raises are profound and they affect our everyday life. So he's saying, if you just listen to God's word, but you don't put it into practice, you're fooling yourself. And then he's saying, if you say you have faith, but it's not producing any fruit, any actions, are you really saved? Is that the kind of faith that saves you? So let's, let's look a little bit about faith and what God says faith is. And we'll go to the book of Hebrews in, the, in, the chap, in chapter 11 and look at two verses there. So that we get God's perspective on faith. Not just something that I'm thinking or that you're thinking. But what, is, what does God say about faith? In, in uh, Hebrews 11, the first verse says, it's kind of a definition, God's definition of faith. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. So faith is a confidence that what we hope for, heaven, eternal life, living with God and Jesus forever, those kind of things, that they are going to happen. And faith is the assurance, the certainty, about things we can't see. So we walk by sight in some ways, but in, in this matter of eternal life and faith and salvation, we walk in faith. We can't actually see it, taste it, but we believe it is true. We actually trust it. Not just a belief of words or an intellectual assent, but we trust it. We're going to talk more about that later. And then in verse 6, I love this part, very interesting. It talks about what pleases God. What pleases God. And I think, for me, I want to please God. I want to know that who I am and what I'm doing, how I'm acting, that that pleases God. And he ties pleasing Him back into real faith. And this is what he says in verse 6 of chapter 11, Hebrews. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. So in order to please God, He's asking me to have faith in Him, to believe that He exists and that what He says is true, that he rewards those who diligently seek him. How many of you in here are parents? Let me raise a hands. Over half, it looks like, parents. My wife and I have been blessed to have 11 children and 29 grandchildren, and number 30 is due a couple of days ago, so we should be up to 30 really soon. So I've done mission work for quite a while, and I used to go on some mission trips and leave my wife at home with our kids, but when I would come back, we'd have more kids. She just kept adopting them and finding them. And so finally I started taking her with me. So we held at 11. (laughs) 11 kids was enough. Is that enough? (laughs) And the 30 grandkids help, right? But as as a parent, and maybe you can feel this too, when your children... You know, you love your children and you want the best for them. And you try to show them and teach them, model it to them, tell them about it. Good decisions in life. You want the best for them. When they actually believe you, put their trust in you, uh, that's, that's a great feeling as a parent. And so I believe that's what God is saying to us. He's saying, if you want to please me, children, have faith in me. Believe what I tell you. Put it into action. Don't just say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but actually follow my guidebook, follow my plan for you. That pleases God. And then I'm going to apologize to the the person putting the scriptures up there. I'm going to stick to the script except for this passage. It's just a new one. So in Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at that. It's a, there's three verses. We'll start with a couple of them in Ephesians chapter 2. And it's talking about faith and salvation. And, and it kind of explains this relationship between faith and works. Because we know we don't get salvation by our works, but James seems to be saying, hey, if you claim to be saved, but you have no works, no fruit, I'm wondering if you're saved. So this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Start in verse 8. We'll, we'll do 8 and 9 first. It says, well... Actually, if I was in the book of Galatians, that's what it would say. But over here in Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8, it says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So he's very clear here. He's saying, you didn't work your way to salvation. We know that uh, because of sin entering the world, because of the fall, we know there was a separation between humankind and God, and that we actually, as it says in Ephesians 2, if you read the first few verses of that chapter, it explains that we are spiritually dead in this world. When we come into this world, we are spiritually dead, and we must be born again. And we know that that step that is taken to become part of God's family, to become a new creation, to become born again, that's a step that is taken by faith. And it says we can't claim any, any uh, credit for that. We can't boast about that. We can't say, "Hey, I, I did such good things that God has saved me. We have to acknowledge that, no, it's a gift from God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's a gift, not as a result of works. So I can't boast about it. But what is my part? It says... Believe, believe. So read that again. God saved you by his grace when you believed. But then Jesus also said, the demons believe and tremble. Well, we know they're not saved. So he's talking about a kind of belief that is faith, trust that can save us. When James asks, well, if you have a belief that doesn't produce anything, does that faith save you? No, we know that it's a, it's a real belief, a trust, not just an intellectual assent, not just saying, I'm going to claim to be a Christian and I'm going to come to church once in a while. I'm going to come on Sundays and sit. But God's Word is telling us, no, the faith that saves is a faith that produces actions, that gives fruit. It's a real faith. In verse 10, he even expounds on that. So first he tells us in 8 and 9 how we get saved, that it's his gift, that it's not as a result of works. And then in verse 10 he says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So there he ties it together. He didn't just save us from something. He saved us from hell. He saved us from condemnation. He saved us from eternal separation from him. But that's not all. He also saved us for something. We are his masterpiece. Created anew in Christ Jesus for good works. For good things that he prepared from long ago. Some translations say from before the foundation of the world. In other words, as his children, he not only asks us, but allows us to participate in the good work of his kingdom. As imperfect as we are, once we take that step to become family of God, part of the body of Christ, we now are able to walk in the good things, the good works that he prepared beforehand for his glory and for our growth. That kind of faith that saved us, that allowed us to take that step, produces fruit. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, I am... On a mission to become more like Jesus, but also a mission to fish for others and help them along this journey. God has special things prepared for his children, that and he's known about it since, since the beginning. When he did his creation, he had things in mind for those who were going to follow him. Good works. And that's why we see some people are gifted in speaking. Some are gifted in serving. Some are gifted with children. Some are gifted as missionaries. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, explaining how the body works together, how God has roles and gifts for different people. And together we all work out this wonderful plan of the kingdom of God and reaching those who are lost for salvation and bringing them into the family. So it's not a sedentary faith. It's not a come and sit in the chair kind of faith. It's a faith that's real, that produces fruit. Now, would that be Mike? Mike, how you doing? All right. I met Mike over the last couple of days. Uh, you know, re-met him. And uh, I'm getting to recognize that voice. All right. So you came in this morning... And it looks like eventually, either quickly or after a little while, you sat down in a chair. Those are chairs, yeah, sat down in a chair. When you went to sit down in that chair, did you pick it up and turn it over, make sure it was put together correctly, examine it to see if it was strong enough? Or did you just sit down? Yeah. Why? Well, because you had faith that that chair would hold you. And you put action behind your faith. Now, being old, I'm going to be 68 in a couple of months here. I've sat in thousands and thousands of chairs, many of you have. Once in a while, maybe twice in my life, a chair has failed me. (laughs) Maybe you too. Or a leg is broken, or I lean back. You know, boys are famous for that, for tilting their chairs back. And every once in a while, something bad happens. But by and large, I have faith in chairs. They do their job. So I put my faith into action by sitting in them, taking, trusting them to do their job. Real faith produces fruit, produces action. Faith is an action word. There's a, there's a story, and I don't know if you were able to find a picture of that or not, but there's a man named Charles Blondin. Even before my time, back in 1859, he became the first man to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Wouldn't that be fun? Walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope, and it had never been done before. So he got that ready. He had his his team there with him, but he was the one that was going to cross it, and it stretched out there over that huge waterfall. And he took his balance pole and he started out. No man had ever done it before. And he walked across that tightrope all the way. And then he walked back. And the the crowd, there was a huge crowd there applauding, cheering. Then he set the pole down and walked across and came back without a pole. Then he grabbed a chair and he walked to the middle and he balanced the chair. And he sat in the chair in the middle of that tightrope. Then he brought that back and he got some juggling uh, like juggling pins and he juggled as he walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope and juggled on his way back. Then he got a wheelbarrow and he pushed that across the tightrope and pushed it back. Incredible. The crowd was just amazed. Then he asked the crowd a question and he said, do you believe that I could carry a person in this wheelbarrow across the tightrope and back. And they said, yes. And then he said, who wants to be the person in the wheelbarrow? (laughs) Nobody volunteered. They had faith that he could do that. They said yes, a faith of words. Yeah, 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 I believe you could do that. Put a person in a wheelchair. In the, in the wheelbarrow and get him across and back. But they didn't have the kind of faith that produced action. They had an intellectual belief that, yep, I've, I've seen him do it in various ways. I really think he could. Do I trust him with my life? No. So we need to, God is asking us to have that kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that saves and that makes us a disciple of Jesus and that produces fruit. Trusting God with everything we've got. Not just saying the words, yes, I believe. Please save me from hell. Yes, I'm a Christian. No, it's, it's trusting God. And you know uh, when we say, is Jesus the Savior of your life? Yes. Is he the Lord of your life? That has a whole different meaning, right? And he is both Lord and Savior. And if he's going to be Lord of my life, I have to put my trust in him. And I have to follow his plan and his directions. And I have to embrace what he wants me to be and what he wants me to do. So, so we've got a decision to make. Are we Christians by word only? Or are we Christians by really having saving faith and trusting God? the, The voyage of the Titanic is kind of fascinating to me. You know, I've seen movies. I've seen documentaries. I've read some books. It's just, it's tragic, but it's interesting. But I was thinking the other day, what if we had two boats in front of us here, the Titanic and the Ark? And what if... We didn't know the end of the story of those two boats. What if we could just see them? And we see, we see the Titanic, and it's huge compared to the ark, and it's sleek and modern and uh, well-built, and then we see the ark is kind of rustic. And we, see that we know that the Titanic has these powerful engines, the, the best and most modern that money could buy at the time, that they could actually propel the Titanic up to 23 knots, which is incredible for a boat that size, right? And then we see the ark, no engines, uh, doesn't look very powerful. And we know that the Titanic, that it has 840 beautiful staterooms that we could just really rest in and enjoy. And the ark, I don't know if it had staterooms, but... You know, I thought whoever drew the short straw got to bunk with the elephants that night. I don't know how it worked, but probably not as attractive. And that on the Titanic there was space for and, and equipped with 64 lifeboats, 64 lifeboats, and actually even in the tragic accident, about a third of the people were, were saved. And in the Ark, no lifeboats. In the Titanic, over 3,500 life jackets. On the ark, no life jackets. The Titanic had over 700 experienced uh, crew there to serve and to, to do all their duties. And, and the ark, eight people, I don't, I don't think they'd ever sailed before. So truthfully, if we didn't already know the outcomes of the story, and we were given a choice, which boat do we want to board? I think a lot of us might pick the Titanic. It sure looks better. Probably smells better. And today's world is a lot like that. We have, on the one hand, the culture of the world that claims to be progressive and enlightened and knows more than ever. And then we have God's word over here, which is Old and rustic. And many people are saying it's ridiculous. And we have the shiny things over here that are attractive. And and we're made fun of if we are going to choose this. And so many people today are trying to. Maybe they just go to this side. Or maybe they try to have a foot in both. But faith in what we cannot see requires action to follow God's word. If we really believe. If we believe. But we're not doing what it says. We're fooling ourselves. That's what James is saying. So we're going to read a passage in Revelation. Where uh, John is talking. You know, he, he sent a letter to the churches. And he's uh, addressing in chapter 3. One of them is the church of Laodicea. And the things he says to Laodicea may, may apply to today's world pretty well, maybe even to the United States and, and maybe to Australia, countries where we've got it pretty easy. You know, it might not seem like we've got it easy, but if you look at the rest of the world and then you look at how we live, our comforts, the things that we have, we may, I think, on a, on a curve, we've got it pretty easy. So in uh, Revelation chapter. 3 We're going to read verses 14 through 22, and this is what John says, or this is actually what Jesus says through John. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. So from Jesus, this is the message. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me. Gold that has been refined from the fire. Then you will be rich and also buy white garments from me and so you will not be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. In today's world, the culture is not passive. The culture is trying to force us in a direction that is away from God. And, and he says, don't be lukewarm. Don't, don't be part one way and part the other way. Make your clear choice. A disciple of Jesus, a member of God's family, a part of the body of Christ, has a faith that produces action. And that action is to be a Christ follower and to know Jesus and to do and put into practice the things that he teaches. It's not a, it's not a Sunday morning job to be a Christian. It's, it's a full-time endeavor. I love what Paul says in Galatians when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Who loved me and delivered himself up for me. That's the kind of faith that saves. That's the kind of faith that, that God is talking about when he says you're saved by grace through faith. So I want to read something and then leave us with a challenge. And this is something we read uh, both days in, our, in the journey training that we participated in. And it's powerful uh, to me. It's, it was written by a pastor uh, in Zimbabwe, an African pastor in Zimbabwe who was martyred over 100 years ago. And this is what he says about putting faith in action and being a Christ follower. He says, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of him. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, don't have to be first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith. Lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gait is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few. My guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, turned away, turned back, deluded, or destroyed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the the adversary, negotiate at the table of my enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach till all know, and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. That's what faith, real faith produces. So I just want to leave us with this challenge, then I'll pray with us. Here's three things that we, that I, that you can maybe use as tools for assessment. How am I doing at having a faith that produces fruit? At being a real disciple of Jesus. How am I doing at that? Three areas I can look at. And I'll just start them all with P to be easy to remember. So first P, perspective. What is my perspective? When I have my worldview? Is the culture influencing that? Am I beginning to slip and slide into what the culture says is true? Or is my perspective, is my worldview God's view? And is this what I trust? Perspective. Priorities. Are my priorities kingdom priorities or are they world priorities? And my person, my character. Am I embracing God's transformation of me to be more like Jesus? Or am I still self-centered? Am I still about what I like? Am I still saying, well, that's just the way God made me. I'm, I'm just kind of angry and grouchy and short on patience. That's just the way it is. Or am I submitting myself to Jesus through the Holy Spirit to be transformed to be more like Jesus? so our perspective our priorities and our person if we were to evaluate our faith is it a faith that produces fruit look at those areas and and let's be part of the fellowship of the unashamed let's be people who have a faith that's a real faith let's pray heavenly father we just thank you lord thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to send your son to pay the price we couldn't pay, and that you allowed us to become part of your family, Lord. We thank you for that, Father. I just want to pray for each of us today. Help us to have that faith that saves, the faith that produces fruit, to be real followers of your Son, to not just commit in our minds, but with our whole heart, with our might, mind, and strength, let us be your children and be clear that we're with you always. And we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.